In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. When I add up the years, my life has essentially run on an academic calendar since I was five years old. Between primary schooling, secondary education, the years I taught pre-K, seminary, and now my work as campus minister. And I love the pace of the first few weeks of school. I love the chaos and the overwhelm. It is where I thrive. But my least favorite part of the academic world is almost unanimously hated. Group projects. I'm not exactly sure where this disdain came for me, but it feels like it's always been a part of who I am. Everything about a group project is complicated. Learning to collaborate with different working styles, figuring out where your own talents and weaknesses are, and struggling to adjust your expectations for everyone else in the group and for the project itself. And at this stage of my life, I can look back with grace and see how some of the lessons I learned were important, but I will let all the teachers and professors in this congregation answer to God alone for every group project you assigned. For me, largely, it was inconvenient, burdensome, and I would not recommend it for others. When I read through our epistle lessons from Romans today, though, I thought I have to confess that it didn't take long for this list from St. Paul to begin to sound like the description of a group project. We share this mutual faith and work. We are to collectively be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can discern God's call upon our lives. And unfortunately for us group project haters, we do so as a group. Our faith can have very little impact on the world when we go at it alone. And so rather instead, we're meant to function as one body each with our own gifts and challenges. And I'm a little ashamed that after so many years of hating on group projects, I stand in this pulpit to tell you that being church is a group project. It's a group project that requires us to lean into the gifts we have been given, some of which Paul names outright in our text, prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, compassion. And like every group project each one of us has ever done, we come to the task of this project with our own histories and burdens and expectations. Perhaps when you hear the role of prophecy in a group project from Paul, you can only think of fortune telling. But if we turn back to the Hebrew Bible, we see how the prophets were the people who spoke uncomfortable truths into communities as God tried to call God's people back to God's belonging. Or maybe the concept of being a compassionate person doesn't feel like a gift that you have to offer this group project, but rather a common requirement for being a Christian. The reality of all the different roles and responsibilities and gifts that it takes to be church is that there's no aspect of the fullness of who you are that does not belong here. There's no 
aspect of what you bring to this world that cannot be at work. Before Paul goes into this list, listing all the different members of one body, he pleads the people to lean toward humility. And I think this message needs to be heard in two different ways. First, we have to be humble enough to admit that we cannot do church alone. Christianity is not a religion of one. And second, I think we need to hear Paul's begging to humility that we ought to be bold enough to admit that we actually have something to offer. And this requires a different kind of humility. One that makes us be known and seen. Being church is a group project because it requires vulnerability and grace and courage to be willing to work toward a common goal in all our distinct and different ways. Now, the uncomfortable reality of church as a group project is that what is true for a group project is also true for the church that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And hear me when I say this is not a call-out sermon, but rather an opportunity to truly observe how we are doing at this group project called Christ Church Bowling Green. And before any of you begin to analyze where you think I'm, I think you fall, or you think you fall on the 2080 line, I want us to really stay with the idea. And I want to ask you the question, how many of you have honestly and vulnerably thought through what gifts you actually bring to this world? It's not something we get the opportunity to think through. It's not a given that you know how talented you are. And I think that the truth about this 80-20 line in churches around our country is that there are two economies at work. There are two economies at work when it comes to how we see ourselves, the economy of the world and the economy of God. The economy of the world is one of scarcity that demands individuality, that implies or outright labels us as never good enough always ready to sell us something to help. The economy of the world is relentless in its message that we are better than or worse than others, or that we are more important than or less important than others. The economy of God, however, is one of abundance. It's one that requires us to work together, to depend on each other, it's a space where we are known and seen and loved as we are. In the economy of God, no one is closer to or further from God. Not those of us with clerical collars and not those of us who look and act differently than we may be doing this morning. Being church is being part of this group project 
that requires something of us. And before we can get to work, we have to know ourselves. To know if we naturally delight in a cheerful compassion in a way that your pew neighbor may not find easy on a Sunday morning. Maybe you have the gifts to speak truth into our realities that draw us back into God's love. Maybe you have the diligence to lead others. I am genuinely convicted that this 80-20 divide is not a lack of desire to join in the work of being a community of faith, but rather that when we operate in the economy of the world, it is so hard to know if and where we could fit. It's impossible to know what gifts we have. And we keep ourselves from the reality that we can affect others. And all of us throughout our lives, our gifts and talents and passions and skills will change. What was a joy 15 years ago may feel like a burden now. What felt impossible 30 years ago may be right exactly where God's calling you today. Because when it comes to our church, we're in this group project together. The Vestry and Father Steve have set a pretty ambitious goal for this year. They desire to have every member of Christ Church engaged in a ministry area. And while this probably won't look like a vestry member coming to you, making you come up and read publicly in front of others, it does mean that a portion of our collective energy this year will be spent on making connections, helping pe people figure out their gifts, and yes, asking them to commit to using them in service to our common group project. Today, on your way out, I'll ask you to take this card. It's a ministry interest fair card. If you've already went through the ministry fair before service, maybe you saw it, maybe you didn't. But I'm going to hand one to each of you, even if you know your role at this church. Take it and pray over it. Pay attention to what stands out, what you feel drawn to, and where you feel like you might fit. Because this is an ambitious goal, but Christ Church is not an ordinary group project. And I believe that this goal is attainable because there are so many ways to connect to our common mission. And even if you've only been here a few times and you still think of yourself as a visitor, or if you've been here and been a member for 70 years, you belong here at Christ Church. Because in this congregation, in this group project called Christ Church, we have many members. And not all members have the same function. But as St. Paul says, we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members of each other. Thanks be to God. Amen.